We've been talking literally all day. I know. It's no different. I just hope we still have some crap to talk about. (laughs) Welcome back to another episode of Leadership Rx, the podcast where we discuss the intersection of healthcare, leadership, feminism, and inclusivity. I'm your host, Ashley Allen. And today I have a very special guest with me and friend, Sarah. Sarah is a director of clinical care at a healthcare startup, and we are um, enjoying this weekend together in Fox Island, Washington at an Airbnb. So Sarah and I have known each other for five years, a little over five years. We've worked together at multiple companies, and we've never met in person until two days ago, and now she has agreed to stay in an Airbnb with me tonight (laughs) after, quote-unquote, knowing me for two days. So we've literally been talking all day, so I hope we still have some things left to talk about. So, Sarah, to start out, could you just share a little bit of your journey from RN to NP for the listeners and how you found yourself in the remote and virtual slash telehealth space? Um, And then to follow up, this is like the world's longest question, I'm sorry, um, how that has shaped your journey to this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I never thought that I would be in remote. Um, Likewise. (laughs) I I was a critical care RN, like ICU. um, And when I was in NP school, I went to school for an acute care NP. Um, So I never thought that you could do intubation, central lines, (laughs) like anything like that behind a computer, remote, working from anywhere. Um, But then when I graduated, you know... I met this guy, we got married, um, and wanted something where our schedule was more aligned. So working 12-hour shifts, like the long days, the long nights, the weekends, the holidays just wasn't conducive for a work-life balance. So um, ended up doing uh, long-term care in skilled nursing facilities. Um, And then, you know, we did this for a few years, and actually we um, had issues um having a family Mm -hmm. so um we were all prepared we thought it was going to happen right away Mm -hmm. and when it didn't we said okay well this must mean something more for our lives Mm -hmm. um and my husband was very interested in rocket science has always been that type of person um and that's always been a passion of his so he just said just apply see what happens um i said i'm a nurse i can get a job anywhere and I have found it. myself in that same exact situation. <laughs> Darn versatility of being a nurse. Um, so he found a job um, in a very remote, remote area of Western Texas. Um, so, you know, I had given my resignation with my current company. I said, it's been great, but there's no options out there. It was two hours from the grocery store. How far when you lived there, um, how far was the closest hospital? So we had a hus- we had an urgent care in town, um, but the nearest hospital is two hours away. Wow, mm-hmm. that is wild. So Sarah used to live in Van Horn, Texas, is the small town she's referring to, and that was around the time that I met her. So I've heard all the horror stories about Van Horn. 
<laughs> but that's just like the cherry on top, the closest hospital being two hours away. So I didn't mean to jump forward in your journey. So yeah, no, no, it is. You know, that that's what I was looking at. I was like, how can you, you really tested the ability of a nurse to work anywhere when we're two hours from a hospital. Right. Um, so I had given my resignation at my current company and they said, no, we'll, we'll find, we'll find it. We'll find something for you. Um, so I kind of stumbled into exactly what I said I didn't want. I only worked nights and weekends and holidays. Um, but I did it telephonically. So it allowed me to work from anywhere. I covered nursing homes in five States, um, on nights, weekends and holidays. So Mm -hmm. I still worked and that's kind of how it came to be middle of nowhere. But um, my job didn't change through COVID. So it was, it was kind of a right. interesting course of events. Right. And I think too, like, that's part of why you and I have felt like such close friends, even though we never met in person, because when we worked together in the position you were just describing, I feel like we did have a bit of that, like trauma bond, if you will, of <laughs> the situations that we were dealing with in a shift was just like being um, on on a floor in the hospital or, or in the ER and bouncing ideas off of each other and collaborating and and venting and debriefing um, on the more difficult ones. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so next question, what are some of the benefits you've experienced as a remote NP and as a leader, um, particularly in terms of flexibility? Yeah, so being home um, or working remotely um, allowed me to be home with my daughter who was very young during COVID. Um, She was born pretty much as COVID was revving up um, and it allowed me to be able to be home with her and not have to rely on um, outside childcare at the time. I mean, I was certainly um, I was certainly sleep deprived, you know, um, working nights and being with her during the day. But it gave me that ability to be present for like a very intimate time of her life and mine, mm-hmm. and it really solidified that bond um, between the two of us. So it really just helped um, helped kind of just work-life balance but it's not even like a work-life balance it's like a work-life integration Mm, is kind of how I see yeah yeah I love that um so in your leadership role now at in the healthcare startup space how do you navigate the challenges of being a remote leader and ensuring that you are getting that collaboration and bonding across your team Yeah, so that's a good question because in my previous role, I actually went from working in the field to going remote. So I actually knew a lot of people already. You and I didn't know each other at the time, (laughs) but I had already had a lot of the connections going remote. So I maintained those relationships. What I found, especially transitioning into this position, is I was kind of doing the opposite. Is I was I had started remote and then as COVID you know laxed a little bit the COVID guidelines laxed I was able to go out and spend more time with providers um, and my team members so it was like it was just totally different and it 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 has additional challenges you know I think really important is having your cameras on um, during meetings you know I know it's kind of, it may, depends on the company and the culture but having your cameras on you can see facial expressions that you wouldn't otherwise see over the phone. Um, and when we worked together remote, we didn't have any cameras. All we had was Jabber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there wasn't Teams. I know. 
Wow, I feel old. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. So I've worked at companies that where no one was on camera and it was super lax um, and totally echo everything you just said about the importance of having the camera on. The flip side of that is I've worked somewhere where it was an expectation and almost like a mandate and that felt grueling as well. So I think somewhere in between is really where you want to be. And I think one of the best things I've heard recently was someone referring to um, just the fact that it's okay to be off camera here and there and to take a walk or to do whatever it is that you need to do. And I think as long as there's that understanding within the the culture of the organization, um, that's like my preference Mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, So unique opportunities and challenges that you see in remote work setting, particularly for women in leadership roles and even more particularly in healthcare? Yeah, so what I found is that working remote actually opens you up to more territories and markets that you wouldn't otherwise have opportunities to be a part of. Um, Historically, it was, you know, whatever's in your region or within driving distance, or you relocate for work, you know, um, which we also did. Um, But working remotely just allows you to be able to tap into other markets and other regions and experience other other methods that otherwise you wouldn't be able to, like even just culture differences based on like coast to coast, you know, you just get experience more by being remote. and I think COVID has transformed the healthcare industry for the better. Um, I think it really swung left, you know, when COVID happened, everything went fully remote. Now we're kind of swinging back. And I think somewhere in the middle in like a hybrid. Um, so you still get that face-to-face time. You still get to build those relationships, but you also have that flexibility to be able to have that work-life integration. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually hadn't thought about that. Just the, the wide range of opportunities that it opens up. For women and especially with the healthcare industry still leaning towards expanding in terms of telehealth and remote work in leadership positions and and what you said about coast to coast I've experienced that firsthand this week and I think one of the most exciting pieces of that is I don't even know what dots I'm connecting yet I'm just sort of here as a sponge and and seeing all of the differences in the culture and the way that medicine is practiced here and the nuances. And a lot of that may not click until I'm in a meeting six months from now, you know? And so that's that's really exciting stuff. Um, so I think we sort of already touched on this a little bit, but specific ways that you stay connected and foster relationships with your colleagues and team members. Yeah. So it has to be more intentional. Um, Whereas I think that also is in line with as you're progressing through life, you know, as you're having more commitments outside of the workplace, um, right? You have a family, you have a husband, you have dogs, you have, you know, family members that you're taking care of, Mm -hmm. travel commitments, you know, for family purposes or whatever, um, that it's just harder to build those kind of interpersonal relationships. Um, So it's kind of just more on the fly. Um, And I rely a lot on social media, especially to um, maintain relationships with people that, you know, I used to work closely with, but may because of coast to coast travel, you know, don't get to speak with as often. So social media has been really nice because you can kind of 
the time zone change doesn't impact you as much. Um, And then, you know, just meeting up when you can. Like, if you are making that trip to the area, you make time for your friends, you know. You stay for the weekend and rent an Airbnb, hint, hint. (laughs) Exactly. Or you, like, go out to dinner or you extend your trip another day. Or, you know, even if it is for, like, I can meet you for lunch this one day for two hours, you really make that time. Um, and understanding that we may or may not have a really long time together, but what we have will make it count. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Any strategies or tools you found helpful in maintaining work-life balance while working remotely, particularly around boundaries between work and your personal life? Uh, This is something I struggle with still. So interested if you have any wisdom for me. Yeah. So that was tough because when we were in the remote area, we lived in like a 900 square foot home. So you were like, on top of each other. I swear every time you tell me something new about Van Horn, it's like, how is there more, how are there more layers to this story? This nightmare. It was wild. We moved from a 3,000 square foot home to 900 square feet and the movers brought all of our stuff and they said, there is no way this is going to fit. There is no way. And we're like, we better make it fit. We have no other choice. <laughs> we did. We had furniture like from floor to ceiling. It was... Um, <laughs> But having a, a dedicated space as your office, I found, has been very helpful. Um, a place that you can close the door or pull a curtain when you're not working and having that disconnect. Yeah. I find that I, ca- I can't work, like, sitting on my couch or sitting on the bed or, like, at the kitchen table. Like, I need a de- designated office space that I'm like, okay, when I'm not working, that's closed. Yep. And even now, I have a dedicated office that I don't go in that room unless I'm working. I love that. So physical boundaries and almost like the ritual of closing the door or closing the curtain, like you said. Yeah, I should take your advice on that. (laughs) I work all over the house and my desk is in like a foyer type area just because there's a lot of natural light there. But to your point, yeah, every time that I walk by that area, I see my desk there. So good stuff. Um, You have been very open about your fertility journey and starting a family while balancing building your career. So how has being a nurse practitioner played a role in, in your fertility journey? And what advice do you have for other women leaders who may be facing similar challenges? Yeah, so I don't know if it's being a healthcare provider that's helped through this journey or more of my personality. My personality has been is if you tell me I can't do something, I'll do it just to prove you wrong. Um, And fertility is no different. (laughs) Someone told me I couldn't and I was going to prove them wrong. Um, So I think that that really drives and that kind of has driven me into the leadership um, sector is I want to break down boundaries. I want to um, see what I'm capable of and then some, you know, I want to see what I can, I can do. And, you know, fertility was something that it was closed door after closed door after um, unsuccess after failure. Let's say that too. Um, it was failure after failure, and it was just the ultimate goal was so much bigger than those small failures that it didn't matter. Like we would just continue to try, and maybe we were just, you know, I'm just strong headed and, and needed to give up when I did, or well, we never gave up, yeah. but. Yeah. So for the listeners, just 
to and to whatever extent you're comfortable sharing. So when I met you about five years ago, what part of this journey were you at? And just if you can walk us through sort of um, the medical aspect of, of what you went through. Sure, yeah. So, um, you know, like any young married couple that's anticipating that they want to have a family one day, they, mm-hmm. you're taught in school, you know, that it'll just happen, mm-hmm. right? It just happens. Um, and we did. We were able to get pregnant fairly easily. I ended up having uh, one miscarriage, then another, and then another. Um, and we were moving to Texas at the time, and so I met with my OB, and we're like, you know, what, what, what is going on? You know, we understand that miscarriages are common. They're much more common. Um, one out of six um, have a miscarriage in their oh, lifetime. I didn't know that. Um, but we did the infertility workup, and we did everything. It was totally normal, except um, one last blood test, and they were like, you know, it's, it's probably going to be fine but came back as positive. Um, so I have a, what we call a balanced translocation. So uh, my genes are a little swapped. They're, I have all the right genetic material just kind of in the wrong place. So when it goes to, and it has no impact on anything in your health, lifespan, anything, except for when it comes to infertility or when it comes to fertility, excuse me. <laughs> um, so genetically speaking, two out of 18 of my eggs are genetically normal. Um, for a statistic. Okay. So that's why we were recommended when we moved. We actually actually got the call as we were driving, moving to middle of nowhere, um, that I had this kind of unusual genetic abnormality, um, and the recommendation was IVF or in vitro fertilization to essentially be able to genetically test the embryos before um, trying to conceive, because otherwise I would miscarry at a very early age and uh-huh. or a very early. Um, in the pregnancy. Yeah, because you were still in your 20s at this point, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like 28. Okay. 28, 27, 28. Um, so we did three rounds of IVF in, in Dallas, Texas. So I would drive 500 miles one way. In your camper. In a, yep, I would stay in my camper for about two weeks at a time with my two pups. And Nick would stay. I'm sorry, my husband would stay um, for work. So I would be there by myself. Um, and we did three rounds there, um, unsuccessful. Um, and so we said, okay, if we're gonna continue to do this, we exhausted our insurance benefit, like everything that, was done. That was something I really wanted to ask you about. Just with the rise, meteoric rise over the past couple of years of women's fertility benefits, like Maven Clinic and other businesses like that, you didn't have any of that at that time, right? So I had enough through my primary employer, um, my insurance coverage, to pay for three rounds. Okay. And that was done in, an, in less than a year. Um, so after that, you know, my husband and I had made the decision that this was far bigger than what money was. You can't put a dollar on it. Right. Or price on it. Yeah. Yep. So we said, all right, we're, we're fortunate enough to live in a, a place that's fairly inexpensive to live. Um, and how better to use our money than to... And by that, family. she means Texas, not Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> and Texas is a beautiful state. It really is. But yeah, it's a, it's, um, it's a definitely a different cost of living, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, so, and, and this was pre-COVID too. So we lived very remote. So I had the ability to, and I worked remote. 
So I had the ability to travel anywhere in the country. So we actually, it's CDC publishes um, fertility clinic success rates. It's very public knowledge. Interesting. Um, so we found a clinic in New Jersey that was like number one or number two in the country. And we said, if we're going to do it, and we have conveniently had some family around too, yeah. which was helpful. Um, but if we said, we're going to do it. We're going to pay out of pocket. We're going to do it. So we went there, did a few more rounds and... Um, got finally got after five egg retrievals we got one genetically normal embryo um, and that was implanted March 20th of 2020 so and that is now your daughter Correct. that is my daughter yes <laughs> but that was in the midst of COVID right, right. I had come up in February I, I flew up yeah and the whole world fell apart yeah so I was stuck in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. My husband the was in Texas. Center. Yeah. Yep. And we had no way of getting to each other because we were afraid to fly. He drove up and picked me up in New Jersey and we drove back afterwards because we didn't know what was going on in the world. Wow. And then I got pregnant. <laughs> Simple as that. <laughs> the rest is history. Um, and we can take this part out if you don't want to talk about it, but if you want to talk about where you went from that to because now you're pregnant again mm-hmm. <laughs> newsflash yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 so we decided to do it all again and um fortunately we had better success this time wow. um but still thankful i'm super grateful for my role and my company who's been very supportive yeah um, and my leadership too, who yeah. have been very supportive of me doing this travel and doing kind of a hybrid. Yeah. Um, that's been the beauty of being able to work remote is that it gives me the opportunity to continue to stick with this IVF clinic that's been amazing and has like become part of my family. Yeah. What do you think it is that makes them, makes their, their success rates so drastically different like that? And I'm also curious if the ones that are better rated don't take insurance at all. So yeah, (laughs) that's a good question. Um, they do accept insurance and it depends. It's a lot of a state. It's mostly state actually. So infertility coverage or fertility coverage by employer is really mandated by the particular state. Texas did not have any. Um, Yeah, so, um, but it's very common. I think, and this will be after date be taken out because I don't know. I think it's New Jersey does or New York does. What we can say is um, the Northeast is much more common to have fertility coverage. Okay. What about, do you know if Washington does? Washington does not. Okay. They're talking about it in 2024. Okay. So we're like, oh, maybe. <laughs> a third? Yeah. Aww. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. We have reserved the right to change our mind. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so sorry. The question was fertility coverage and then... Um, oh, the success. What's yeah, the variability? What's the, what's the secret sauce? of the, the better places. Yeah, so it's just, this was a, a massive IVF clinic that does 8,000 cycles a year. So it's just a massive, and that's what my husband has said, we wanted a factory. I we was just need, making an enterprise. Yep. Yeah. We didn't need that personal touch. I didn't need someone to hold my hand. I didn't need someone to tell me it was gonna be okay. 
I needed a baby. I needed a baby. I needed to get pregnant. So I did not care about that. I wanted a factory. And they were. They are. They're amazing. What's the name of it for um, anybody that might be looking? Yeah, RMA of New Jersey, Reproductive Medical Associates. Okay. Um, And they're amazing. And, And not to discount that they don't have that personal touch, too. I've definitely found that their staff has is incredible um, mm-hmm. and really un- truly understands to their core what patients are going through mm-hmm. because nobody wants to be there. Yeah. So. Yeah. Wow, that gave me chills. <laughs> Could you share any insights or lessons learned from your experience thus far um, that have impacted your professional growth and your leadership skills? Mainly, I'm just asking, like, any nugget of wisdom from along the way. I would say seize every opportunity, even if you think it might not be exactly what you're looking for. You know, opportunities present themselves in the strangest of ways. Um, And just opening yourself up to new opportunities, you never know where that's going to take you. Yeah, you mean in terms of like diverse, diversifying your skill set, like just hopping on projects or being willing to help here and there, those mm-hmm. sorts of things, yeah. Even if you don't know exactly how it's going to directly translate to your career path. Like, I think for me personally, one of the oddest roles that I found myself in was um, they needed an interim community engagement manager for New York City. So I hired a team of six and they were community outreach specialists and they were charged with engaging patients either door knocking campaigns calling etc and i found myself leading that team um but now i have engagement on my resume so yeah it's what if you could share with us like what is some of what is maybe one of the oddest uh roles that you found yourself in or sort of one of these places that you were like I never thought I'd be doing this. I think it was my first role right out of NP school. I was an acute care NP by training, and I went to nursing homes, long-term care. (laughs) You know, as I was leaving the ICU, I had providers come to me and say, well, we all have to start somewhere. Yeah. And you know what? I look back on it. It was the best decision I've ever made. Are you a, your adult gerontology acute care? And I am as well. Oh. And I've also never worked in the ER or ICU as an NP, um, just as an RN. So it's, it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I love it. I've learned that like, when you take those chances and things that you wouldn't necessarily think would be aligning with your career path, um, it opens you up to just new opportunities even within that new opportunity. That's so true. In your role as a woman and a leader in the healthcare sector, what are some initiatives or changes you would like to see to support the growth of women specifically in this industry? You know, before you and I chatted most recently, I never really thought about, I'll be honest, I didn't think about women in healthcare. I just thought that it was just, you know, everybody in healthcare um, and just leadership in healthcare. But you're absolutely right. Women um, can build each other up, and that's where we really need to band together. I think that's honestly part of what I'm trying to do with this podcast. Like, everyone wants to know, like, 
what are you doing? What's your goal? What's, and, and I'm just like, I just think telling stories and sharing ideas is so powerful. And I wish that something like this had existed for me whenever I was feeling this way, because everything that KJ said on my podcast, I identified with everything you've said, I identify with, even though I haven't started a fertility journey, I can still feel exactly what you were going through when you're describing your situation. And, um, so I think just sharing these stories and to your point, banding together, um, are in terms of initiatives, um, within the industry, I, I just think back to just some of the, gonna be dramatic for a moment, like brutality of the actual job of being a nurse in the hospital and the fear of violence going into homes. Um, I've worked at some places with home-based medical care that had like an alarm button that or a panic button that you could hit. I've worked at a lot of places that don't have that. Um, but when you look at the statistics of violence against women, it's it's staggering. And we are, I don't know any of the statistics on, on violence against nurses or violence against home health care workers. But I think that, um, I think there's a fear in a lot of women to speak up. I think even like to your point in your fertility journey about the things you needed, like being able to travel and and things like that, and more flexibility. Um, there isn't really a forum for that, and I think we have, at least I'll speak for myself, <laughs> a lifetime of societal norms and pressure to be a certain way and to not rock the boat and to not set boundaries and to not advocate for things that are important to us. And so I think... I'm generalizing all women in healthcare right now, but I think there's a fear of being perceived a certain way by speaking up. Yeah. And so I guess I just answered it. I asked you the question and then no, I answered but that, it. But <laughs> anything. Yeah. No, no, I, I totally agree. And, you know, especially in healthcare, you aren't taught like it's not part of our training you know I think that if you go to a business school or something it's just a little bit leadership is part of the curriculum whereas in nursing school it's so clinically based and NP school that it's so clinically based there you don't have time to talk about the things that actually matter and to your point like putting boundaries up that's now a big struggle of mine is still, you know, the work-life integration is a beautiful thing, but you also have to keep that in mind um, when having a family or when you have other commitments is you do have to be able to create those boundaries to protect yourself and your mental health, right? Mental health is is um, not spoken about enough, you know, especially women in leadership that might be mothers or have other commitments as well. Um, to kind of take time for yourself. Yeah. I, I feel like that's one of the biggest lessons that I've learned myself, I would say, in the past year, is trying to figure out how to balance the different domains of my life. Um, because when they're out of balance, nobody wins, right? 
Um, so I really like that. Um, so since we finally met in person two days ago after knowing each other for five plus years, um, do you think companies and individuals should prioritize or invest more dollars in getting together in person with one another? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Um, I think we were there before COVID and then, you know, other circumstances happened, right? Yeah. Um, but now I think we're getting back to that where you can't put the face-to-face -face interaction and building those relationships. Like in my role, I've worked with people remotely and I had to meet them remotely. And then when you meet them in person, your whole dynamic changes afterwards. You know, conversations are easier. Um, you have a little bit more grace, to be honest, you know, mm -hmm. because you understand them, you see them in their work environment, and you can identify on just a different level that otherwise you wouldn't be able to. So just having, and it doesn't have to be a lot, right? It doesn't have to be often, once a year, twice a year, Absolutely. Um, to have that time. Anything else you want to talk about? <laughs> I'm your therapist right now. You're drinking Diet Coke Diet out Coke. of a wine glass. <laughs> well, my sparkling cider can open, so. <laughs> wow, so it is the following morning. I just woke up and watched my last sunrise in the Pacific Northwest before I head back to the East Coast absolutely beautiful morning on the water just so filled with gratitude listening to this episode and thank you for listening and supporting this um, we have some incredible guests lined up both men and women from all walks of life willing to share their journeys thanks again for tuning in until next time